Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. Hello and welcome to the Provoke podcast. I am Diana Marzalek. I'm senior reporter with Provoke Media. And I have today with me Connect2 Communications President Rich Williams. Hello, Rich. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. I can see you sitting in your home. I'm in my home. We're here. It's almost a year later and we're all still <laughs> looking at each other through Zoom, right? We are. Like, I think this time last year, I was prepping to go to Mobile Congress and watching to see. I don't know if it had been canceled yet by this date, but it was it was looming to be canceled. Yeah. So here so here we are. And um, first, why don't you tell us a little bit, if you could, please, about, about your firm, and then we can go from there and uh, talk where we are and where we aren't. Yeah, absolutely. So we, so Connected Communications was started in uh, 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd always been inside before starting the agency. I'd worked for Intel and a company called Hatteras Networks and a company called InFocus, and then, you know, worked at PAX in D.C. And I started the agency to focus on B2B tech. Mm-hmm. And our um, client base has historically been some of the more technical tech out there. So we don't do any B2C, although we've done it on occasion. Um, you know, we represent clients that are making the equipment that goes in AT&T's network and Windstream's network and OpenReach's network and that goes into IBM's network. And so just really, it, it's kind of deep tech. Um and we've been in place since 2003. We've, you know, seen some ups and downs like every agency has. You had growth spurts and growth retractions. And um, it's, been, it's been good, though. You know, it's been, you know, our, our, I think part of the reason why we are, we still exist after 17 years and why we have some clients that we've now represented for the third time mm-hmm. is because that focus on storytelling and really pushing clients to think beyond what they make. Excellent. So two things came up just in your introduction that that I want to ask you about. You often hear about people going from in-house, uh, from agency to in-house. That's right. sort of the more traditional career path, right? You went the other way. Um, was it because in your workings with agencies, you saw the need, or what was, or was it a more personal reason than that? Well, it was. It was. So I didn't plan to start an agency. So I left a company that was struggling with them as my first client. And I figured, well, I'll get three or four clients and then I'll go back inside somewhere. Right. Like it was a bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I kept getting clients. Oh, well. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I kind of like being the boss. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, and, you know, so I first started the model with, with, um, with uh, con- contract, uh, contractors and then realized that didn't scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moved to employees. But I, I did start it with the, with the intent that, you know, I'd hired and fired and worked with and inherited a whole bunch of agencies over my career. And I, I knew what I didn't think worked, right? And I, the thing I didn't think worked was the way a lot of agencies are divorced from what the client's actually trying to accomplish, right? And really little consideration or understanding of all the things that happen inside a company that, that, that push them to make certain decisions or push them to not make certain decisions, right? There's a lot of politics in, inside a company, especially the bigger the company is, 
that a PR agency is just always like knocking the door saying, what can we announce? What can we announce? What can we announce? Um, but it's not really looking at, wait, what is the company really trying to accomplish? Like, what is, what are all the things that have to happen internally? So the person that we work for can be successful. And why is that? Because in some ways that's fundamental to achieving the goal, right? Which is getting the company out there and, and accomplishing what they want to accomplish. So why is that, do you think? Because I think it's more surface layer. Like I think most agencies typically put the, um, they apply the same tactics to company A, they do to B, to C, D, E, and the ones that are most successful are the ones that fit within that mold. Mm-hmm. Right, but but not all clients do within that mold. Especially like a lot of our clients have been international companies that want to make um, a, build a presence in the U.S. with U.S. press, right? That don't understand the market. Like so, there are you know working with a German company is very different than working for an Icelandic company or working for a company based in Tel Aviv. Right, mm-hmm. the way they work as a business is very different. So taking time to understand that, understand how they think, how they process stuff, their priorities is important, right? You know, one of the things we tell our clients all the time is your story is bigger than what you make, right? People don't buy what you make just because you've made it. They buy it because they trust the company, has smart people, or they're building the right thing, and they're listening to the market, that they've got the right partners, they've got the right channels, they've got the right executive team, they've got the right funding, right? There are, especially for smaller companies, there are elements that make up an entire package that people are buying, Right. They're not going to buy the best product in the world if they don't trust that it's made by people they think are reputable, trustworthy. Right. So we often see these stories coming out, you know, consumer focus brands, um, you know, the ones that either pull at your heartstrings or let you know what's going on, the deep emotional thing. How does that work in a deep tech B2B Oh, it's interesting. So there's, and I'll give you a couple examples. We had a client called, um, well, they're not a client now, so I won't say their name. I'll give them. Okay, (laughs) client X. Client X. They made what's called an LTE router, right? So it was a router that could plug into the, connect into the the network and then deliver an LTE service. So one of the things one of their customers did, and it was a really smart um, IT director from a school system, is they lit their school system was one of the poorest and biggest in the country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a huge portion of their um, their base, their, their schools, their, their kids didn't have access to broadband. So he put these LT routers on school buses and drove them out into the district at night and mm-hmm. turned them on so kids, kids could do homework. That's amazing. That story's right. Right? So we call those the adjacent story. Mm-hmm. It's not about what the what the product is, it's what the product enables the customer to do they couldn't do before that impacts the lives of their community. And you can always find that story if you ask enough questions. So we got that story about a school district in California mm-hmm. covered by the BBC. Really? Okay. Yeah. So it was, that, I mean, so all the tech press covered it, but we also got covered by the BBC. So now another example is we have a client that has a data, had a data center in Iceland, right? A data center is walls and power and security. Right right? Mm -hmm. It's just a data center, right? So we were able to, so they were carbon neutral data center, which A, gave them all their power came from renewable energy as opposed to coal or gas. So that was already interesting to the data center press. We extended it to look at the energy press, Mm -hmm. um, but we also had people come into the data center. Like there was a visual effects company that came to the data center, 
right? So we did a press tour where we brought over the tech reporters from Hollywood Reporter, from Variety, from mm-hmm. The Atlantic, from, and we, you know, we took them on a tour of film sites in Iceland. You know, we did all this other, we had the film board come and talk to them. We did a tour of the visual effects studio and they got to watch how things were rendered. And we talked about how much compute power required to re- render today's movies. And then they did a tour of the data center. And that got covered in Newsweek and it got covered in, I mean, because we made it relevant to you, even though it's the deepest tech, um, we made it relevant because we made it interesting to the reporters who, you know, hey, they wanted to go to Iceland. Like who doesn't want to go to Iceland? Right. Um, but we made the tour relevant and we made the tech relevant to how they covered their industry. And, and the thing I think a lot of people miss, mm-hmm. is there are opportunities like that for everything, right? So we had a client that was making IOT device sensors and they had, one of their clients was US Sugar. So yes, we pitched it to all the press that were covering IOT, but we also pitched it to the agriculture reporters because agriculture reporters, you know, you might find one or two that are looking for the ability to write about something other than crop yields. Yes. I can write about tech. Oh, wait, IOT, I know about that. Like it, you, you give the reporter something. So there's transportation. Like if you've got a solution that you're ultimately selling to transportation companies, there are transportation reporters in every pub- big publication. Hmm. And, and you're also targeting the consumer press. So even though you are sort of deep tech B2B, the story can go far and wide and people, the the decision makers see these stories ultimately and the the public sees these stories, obviously. And you're appealing to different layers of the, because ultimately what we want to do with PR is we want to help sales overcome any of those objections we know happen normally in the sales cycle. Such as when you, when you say that. um, So they think that there's, so let's, let's say there's a technology that our, one of our clients has decided to embrace and certify on, but there's competing technologies out there, mm-hmm. right? Our, you know, other standards groups are working on different technologies. We will run a campaign that talks about what a customer can do, what an end customer can do based on this technology versus the other ones. Where are the, where are the gaps, where are the limitations, where are the strengths? Um, so that when the those stories run that talk about the benefits of XGS Pond versus NG Pond two, um, they already have the the, the customer the end customers already read stories saying, oh, you know, I hadn't considered XGS Pond and how it has to do this and this this right. right. So we we know those technology questions are going to come in an interview. We try to give the customer ability to answer some of those questions before they get in a sales meeting before it becomes a negotiation issue, right? Or if we know that we've got a small company that, um, and they're competing with much larger companies, then we're going to do more press about their funding mechanism. And the, um, you know, they've got deep attention from their venture capitalists. They've got executives that have built companies successfully before to the billion dollar range to show, yes, this company might be young, but the lineage of the executive team and the investors is, is deep. And it sounds to me, so you're in this deep tech world that you're you're pitching and working with and all, but it sounds to me like you still kind of are a big believer in the power, the old power of the press. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's um, and sometimes that press takes a very long time to mature, right? Yes. So those the bigger press, right? Like we had, go back to Vern, we had a story that we worked on with Time magazine for a year and a half before it ran. Year and a half. What was that about? Or can't you say? <laughs> Oh no! It was a story. It was a great story. It was um, it was a story about um, all the. Well, so it was a story about Iceland and all the different 
um, ways renewable energy is impacting the economy and data centers was one of them, ah, right? Okay. Our client was the example as one of them. Okay. Um, but we toured, there were all these other little small businesses from like drying fish and sending them to developing countries for as protein mm-hmm. which was also part of the story, right? So we were willing to look at a bigger story about Iceland that mean like, you know, we, we set up the, all the tours we set up and every meeting they had, we, you know, organized the travel. Um, you know, I went on the trip with the reporter, but we knew we'd be a part of the story, but a big story that a lot of people would read that might not have read about my client, but would read about the, the economic impact to Iceland and beyond of renewable power. Interesting. It's, you often hear now, or I often hear, um, you know, every story is a tech story, every industry is a tech industry, all that. But you're looking at a little from the flip side also, right? Mm-hmm. That every tech story is it's a personal a story. consumer, human interest, yeah. larger story, which, yeah. which is amazing, which is great, right? Well, it's, it's sometimes, sometimes you have to stretch for that, right? Like, and I don't mean stretch the truth. I mean, you have to, you have to dig deep, right? Like, so again, for Vern, their story hadn't changed from the day that we started working for them to the day that we stopped working for them, right? They were mm-hmm. still just a data center. But one of the things I saw was the U.S., um, the American Society of Civil Engineers had issued a report that the U.S. power grid was rated D plus. Okay. Right, so it's disjointed. It's, was, some of it was built 100 years ago. Um, and then the Icelandic power grid was 10 years old. Right, one of, the ro- one of the most robust in the world. So if we wanted to marry all the kind of applications that, cus- that big companies were looking to run in their data centers, HPC, you know, high-performance computing, AI, machine-to-machine learning, um, all these things that take a lot of compute power and, and energy, if they were going to make a bet to put that in Boston, where there's a shaky power grid, or somewhere in New Jersey, then they were there probably wasn't enough power to to support their goals long term because you can't just add power to a data to a to a power plant, mm-hmm. right? And there was a time in England recently where they were telling um, there was two percent availability on the power grid in the UK, okay, right? And they were telling um, uh, mass market retailers to turn the power off at night to help mm-hmm. save power. Mm-hmm. So we commissioned a an energy analyst to write a study. We said. You need so this is our premise. You need to prove it's true or not. If it's not true, that's fine. Prove it's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's true, we want to know. And it was basically we're getting to a, we're going to come to a point where the amount of power available on power grids is not sufficient to support the compute requirements for all these applications that every company wants to do. And they don't care that five of the companies want to do the same thing and they're going to use the same power. They just want to make sure they have the power. And why Iceland, which one of the objections of Iceland was, well, I can't just walk down the street to my data center. Right. I have to get on a plane, right? It's that we knew that was an objection. Okay. So this study, and it was published, and actually USA Today covered this study. Oh. Which, um, uh, so we wanted to overcome the objection that Iceland's too far. I have to get in a plane. I can't just go see it. Right, but it's worth that trade-off because you're confident that there's enough power in the Icelandic power grid to power every single application you want to run for the next 50 years. Hmm. Um, you, in, in reading about what your work is, in addition to um, 
having media relations and building those relationships, I saw you do also work with analysts a lot, right? Is that kind of given the backbone to, to your story? Is that, um, yeah. yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to watch how the analyst landscape has shifted even in the last two years through consolidation. And then a lot of people breaking off to do their own firms that got caught up in that consolidation, right? There's, um, so we, we talk to analysts on a regular basis for clients, um, on a quarterly basis for some of the public companies that are reporting numbers that ultimately get fed back to the street that help determine valuation mm -hmm. um, to working with analysts to help identify opportunities where understand how opportunities can be played out um, for our companies in the business. We use them to test messaging. Um, we use them to test hypothesis. We use them when we are starting early on a project for a company and it might be a new segment for them. Mm -hmm. We will go and talk to five or six analysts to say, Hey, I know this is not something you're used to from them or you might not know them, but we want to get ahead of it with you to make sure that we understood, you know, does this make sense what they're doing and why do you see this as a need? Um, and it, it just pays massive dividends, right? Because you, a, you get great insight to a lot of times you can get a supporting quote for a press release or they'll be willing to talk to reporters when you have stories, which add you know, credibility um, and you get great insight. Absolutely. When it comes to ultimately the decision makers, though, in this sort of deep tech world, um, mm -hmm. is there a point where, especially now with people being so inundated with everything, that they just kind of want to cut to the chase, like they don't want the tech? <laughs> What's your? What does it do? Um, how does it work? I mean, I, I get the sexiness of the big story, but when you're trying to move the business in this sure. particular world, well, um, that, absolutely, and that's why there's it's always multiple. We, we call them threads, right? They're messaging threads. So we have that broader messaging thread that you're going to use occasionally when you get a chance with a publication like the BBC or USA Today or Wall Street Journal. But you're also going to have those core press that cover this tech specifically that will understand when you're talking to them the difference between XGSPON and NGPON2 and the role that um, uh, GDSL will play. The role, you know, They'll understand the tech, right? So they're the ones that if you look at the way, to me, the way the press is read is you have the network operations and the engineers and the IT managers, they read network world, light wave, light reading, um, tech target capacity, depending, you know, depending on where they are and what they're reading. So they'll read those tech pubs. You know, their, their managers probably read the same things. It's when you're starting to talk to the C-level the suite that you're going to get that the business press matters. Right, right, because that's yeah. it's where their mind goes versus the right. where the consumer so mind goes. Well, yeah, again, it, that that concept of overcoming, helping the sales force overcome objectives, is mm -hmm. we're helping overcome objectives at every level that has to make be part of the purchase decision. What are the most? I, I don't know if it's fair to ask this question, but um, you know, where are the the real biggest challenges in, in getting this kind of information from tech companies? Is it? The so the, <laughs> I mean, is it the, 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 the product? Is it the person? Is it, you know, looking beyond? This is, this is not in the normal orb, so. Yeah, it's, it's um, a lot of it's in the person, right? Because mm -hmm. tech companies are rightly so very proud of what they've made. Mm -hmm. And that's what they want to talk about. Right. Right, so we start by saying, okay, let's first explain why this matters to the market, how it benefits the customer, and how it fits in your overall strategy. Because mm -hmm. it's this one product doesn't exist to be the only product you make. You're, it means it's going to open new markets for you. Customers are going to be able to do this. 
There's nothing else like in the industry, right? Like those are questions we try to shape, help shape. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually have a pretty detailed PR questionnaire we require clients to fill out before we start drafting a press release. Okay. Um, that some are great at it and some you get the same answer in every answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and you know, th- there is no disrespect to any company because you know, a lot of them are full of engineers right. that you know, assume that everyone else is an engineer and the people they're selling to are engineers. Mm-hmm. You know, our issue is we communicate through people that aren't engineers. Um, so it is, uh, it just depends how willing the company is to, to make sure that they're talking about the value of the product and not just the capabilities of the product. Makes perfect sense. And sometimes, you know, we'll work with a client for years before they get to that point. Really? They have to, oh, you have yeah. to really groom them and court or court them to, yeah. to understand, right? Well, and then start to show them the results or the benefits. Well, that was my next question, is that businesses in tough times now, you're working in a B2B environment. I don't know the, the, the range of your products you represent, but if there are huge infrastructure changes and all of that, I mean, how are you, how are you, not how are you managing, but how are you showing clients the continued value of PR or what does it take to show them the value of it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The, the, the best thing that ever happens is when they walk into a meeting and the customer has the white paper we're referencing or has the articles that have been printed about them, or they've got, they walk in and they said, Oh, our CEO just read that story in um, XYZ publication. And they said, we need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, so, you know, the way we tell our, our clients to look at the value is so in you, if you have a first meeting with a customer and we can give you back 20 minutes of the time when you spend explaining who you are and what you do, and let you start talking immediately about products, is that 20 minutes valuable? And every salesperson will say, oh yeah, we'll take that 20 minutes. Hmm. That's what we try to do. We try to make that introduction at the technology level. So for us, um, am I answering your question? Yeah. Okay. So um, for us, you know, we are, we did benefit from the fact that we did not have a lot of consumer technology that wasn't, um, or, you know, we weren't a PR agency that was doing um, retail, right? Like non-technology work. Right. So the b- bulk of our clients um, work in sell products that have been instrumental in people's ability to work from home, re- learn from home, mm-hmm. entertain from home. Right. Right. You know, we had a client, we did lose one client almost immediately because they had a, um, a software as a service solution geared toward the hotel chain industry. Okay. Right. They were a workforce management solution for hotels. Right. Travel is. And yeah, yeah. that, and they were a monthly subscription basis and everyone canceled, sure. you know, completely. And we're like, Oh, well that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, but we've had a lot of opportunity to talk about, you know, if communities that went ahead and invested in broadband mm-hmm. um, are doing better than communities that didn't. Right. right. You have, and you're, we're starting to see trends like people are moving out of big cities because of cost because this remote working has allowed them to live in a place that has a better cost of living or better quality of life, mm-hmm. right? So those are all trends that, that you know, we continue to find new trends that underscore the value outside of what a product does, mm-hmm. the value that product brings to our customers' networks that we then lap back into the communications. Because PR is about much more than talking to press. Like we believe PR is the message. And you know, we're, as long as the client agrees on the message, 
then that message might be expressed with collateral, right? It might be expressed with things we never touch outside of that message. Um, I imagine, um, so you're, you're a business owner, you run, you, <laughs> I guess you've probably had to do some of your own messaging in the last year. And I, you know, we've kind of beaten it at the working from home and, and where we're at, but moving forward, I mean, running a business, keeping your team going, building a culture. I mean, at this point, moving forward, um, it's gotta be a little exhausting. I mean, how, where are we looking for and how do you keep it going? How do you- I had a full head of hair before the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you see presidents, they go in and they're, they're young and they come out and they look, uh, you're they're just not. the president. <laughs> exactly. The, um, the, so te teamwork is, teamwork and culture is very hard in this environment. Mm -hmm. I think, um, just like, I think it's very hard for kids to succeed and actually learn in remote learning. Right. That, that culture of a classroom, that culture of an office that is an office where people enjoy being together and have fun and recognize there's a light world life balance. Yep. Um, I think are a necessary part of the ability for younger staff, especially to grow and staff who've been around for a while to stay engaged. Like I know that I look at like my day today is packed full of meetings, but yesterday I had a couple meetings and then some things to work on. And if I wanted to go read a book for an hour, I could do that and no one would know. Right. I just don't have my computer. motivation is too big right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, so I, I understand the stress of this and I don't want to put any of my staff in a situation where they don't feel safe to be in a work environment, but we do like we're in North Carolina. So um, we're in the office one day a week. Now, if someone has a sick kid or doesn't feel well, they don't come in. Sure. But are you all into, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but are you all in together on that day or do yeah. you Everyone's in together. Okay. But, but, so we have a fairly large office and everyone's desks are over six feet apart. Okay. So we, we have precautions to help people keep, stay safe. Mm -hmm. um, but that sense of community, that sense of, hey, what are you working on? Hey, let me give you some advice. Or think about this is much harder when you're not face-to-face. -face. Yes. Right. That creative, collaborative, you know, energy that comes from me helping you make your project and you making, you helping me make my project better does, is harder to replicate. Like I, so I've been doing this for a very long time and I still send anything I write for a client to the team to review. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Cause I, you know, they might think of something I didn't, or they're going to copy edit and find something I, you know, which is great putting it out there. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, one of the things like I will, you know, continually remind the younger employees is ask people's opinion. No one is judging you. They just want to be helpful. And, and the reality is, even if you send me something and I change and I ask you to change 40% of it, I would not have thought of that if you hadn't sent me what you sent me. Right. 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 Like I wouldn't have gotten two steps ahead if I hadn't had this as a baseline. So this was great work. It just, if I, based on my experience, based on my conversations, based on my gut, I think if you take it this step further, it's better. So it's not a knock, it is. So I always try to make sure that people understand that as long as the work is good and they've done their best effort, I'm happy with, with that. I just want to help them make it better if I can. And sometimes I'm like, nope, that's good. No, that's a, that's a great mantra. I think about, um, I had a, a, an editor years ago and 
I gave him a story and it needed editing, right? <laughs> and I felt terrible in these editing. And he said, look, that's why we exist. That's why there are editors. Writers sometimes need editors. And I try even now to, to keep that in my brain that, yes, there are writers and I'm a writer that needs an editor and it's okay. That's why they exist. So Absolutely. So, I need a copy editor, 100% I need a copy editor because yeah. I think, you know, my when I wax poetic, like I often do, I it's more clever than it is. <laughs> no, 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 it's perfect. And I'm fine. If you tell me, yeah, you, kind of, you kind of left the ballpark there. I'm okay. <laughs> we can all do. We all got our, our pluses and our minuses, right? Our, our expertise, rather. Yeah. You know, there's, and we all make each other better. Like, you know, I, it could be the one word that changes everything. Yeah. And that's a wonderful philosophy as a, as a leader. So um, I appreciate your time today. It was an enlightening conversation. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me. And um, we will stay in touch and talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Dana. You have been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent, and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at notified.com.